Good morning. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 15 for our Old Testament scripture reading this morning. Psalm 15, and if you'd like to go ahead and turn ahead to our New Testament scripture, that'll be 1 Timothy 6. We'll begin reading in verse 1 of Psalm 15. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. And now let's turn to 1 Timothy 6 for our New Testament scripture. And again, we'll begin reading, begin reading in verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in a light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see. To him be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. 
laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which has, that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can come to your house again another time and worship together and read from your word and hear your word preached. We just pray that our worship would be pleasing to you this morning, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts uh, as the worship service continues and as Pastor Greg comes to bring the message later that uh, your word and your spirit would dwell in our hearts that we would be faithful to you. Father, help us all uh, as we uh, go through the struggles of this life and, and see the chaos around us. We realize that our peace and our hope is from you. And we ask you to forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. What a privilege it is, isn't it, to be part of a church family? You know, we, uh, we've been talking about how God is rebuilding a church here and we're just asking him to please bring us people who uh, want to love God and love his people and and just grow his church as he chooses to grow it and uh, you know that means that we uh, like we talked about at the beginning we face all different kinds of trials and difficulties in this life it's just it's tough this is a tough world to live in but being part of a church family means you're not alone you, you're, you're in communion with other people and they know you and they, they, they pray for you and support you and help in ways behind the scenes that maybe only you know about and the person who's helping. So I'm so thankful to be a part of a wonderful church family. And I'm asking God to continue to strengthen us and grow us in the days ahead for His glory. And before I go any further, I've got to say how good it is to have Rocky back with us today. Uh, I don't know how in the world. Uh, it's not even been two weeks. It's two weeks tomorrow. Is that right? Three weeks tomorrow to be back here uh, with us, brother. We're so thankful. We can't wait to have you back up here. We appreciate you so much. You must have a wonderful wife. And therapist slash therapist, yeah. Father, please now help me to preach. Help me to settle my mind and focus on the task at hand. Lord, we pray for anyone who may be listening to this message today that is without Christ, who is, who is on the precipice of hell itself. We pray, Lord, that you would send the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do, as we're going to talk about, and that is open the eyes of the blind Show that man or that woman or that young person his or her danger and cause them to flee to Christ who is the Savior, the Rescuer for those who are perishing. Lord, thank You for our salvation. Thank You for Your mercy. We, we don't earn salvation. We're not worthy of salvation. It's a gift from a gracious and marvelous God. 
So help us now to worship You as we hear Your Word. Help us to enter in to the text itself. Lord, speak to our hearts. All of us, we pray for the glory of Jesus in His name. Amen. My title this morning is Invaluable Works of the Holy Spirit. Invaluable Works of the Holy Spirit. And my text is 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16 as we continue our series in 1 Corinthians. Now, uh, if you're visiting with us, what we try to do here is work our way through verse by verse of a passage that we're looking at, and we're just now arriving at 1 Corinthians 2, 9, so it's really going to help if you have a Bible and you can open it and follow along. There's a pew Bible there in front of you if you'd like to use it. It really, it really helps to be able to put your finger on the text so that you see that what the preacher's saying is lining up with the text. As I thought about the works of the Holy Spirit that we're going to look at today, I tried to come up with a word that actually fit what we were going to be reading. And I thought about a number of different words, but I finally landed on the word invaluable. Invaluable. Here's the dictionary definition of invaluable. Beyond calculable or appraisable value of inestimable worth, priceless, costly, beyond estimation, invaluable. The reason that I thought I maybe should clarify this definition is because of that prefix, in. Uh, In English, many times, that little prefix, in, as in invaluable, means not. For example, uh, we know the word insane. That means not sane. We know the word invalid, not valid. Involuntary, not voluntary. Indescribable means not describable. So when you hear the word invaluable, you might think not Valuable. But English, you know, I've been told if if someone's trying to learn English as a second language that it makes you want to pull your hair out because of the inconsistencies in the language. Language is difficult. Here, it's the complete opposite. This in. This, This means something so valuable that a price cannot be assigned to it. It's beyond price. And that's the reason I decided on invaluable to describe the works of the Holy Spirit that we're considering today. Because without these works, we perish. We have no hope. What I'm standing here doing now is completely hopeless without these invaluable works of the Holy Spirit. Now, what are they? Well, they are the three Paul speaks of in verses 9 through 16. They are revelation, inspiration, and illumination. Let's look at them one at a time first. The Spirit's work of revelation, verse 9. 
Paul continues, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. Now, if you're using the CSB with me, that translation, you will see that verse 9 is in bold face type. That's because in this English translation of the Greek, whenever an Old Testament passage is quoted in the New Testament, it is set in bold face so you can see that that's what's taking place. In this case, Paul is actually quoting from two passages from Isaiah. Isaiah 52.15 and 64.4. And he's doing it to make a point. His point is that no eye, no ear, and no heart by which we learn everything is adequate for the reception of divine truths. But the Holy Spirit has to reveal them. And in this case specifically, he had to reveal them to the apostles who then proclaimed them. Otherwise, you'd never know these things. McDonald says that 1 Corinthians 2.9 is commonly interpreted to refer to the glories of heaven. And once we get that meaning in our minds, it's difficult to dislodge it and accept any other meaning. But... Paul is really speaking here about the truths that have been revealed for the first time in the New Testament. People could never have arrived at these truths through scientific investigations or philosophical inquiries. The human mind left to itself could never discover the wonderful mysteries which were made known at the beginning of the gospel era. Human reason is totally inadequate to find the truth of God. I don't care how smart you are. In fact, it's your smarts that are often the biggest obstacle to receiving the Word of God. That's called human pride. That's human arrogance. And what Paul is saying here is that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Now verse 10. God has revealed these things to us, you see? He has revealed them to us by the Spirit. There's our word, revealed, revelation, the work of the Spirit, revelation. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Let me ask you this. Does anyone but you truly know what you're thinking? Now, I've been married for a while. And she may think she knows what I'm thinking. And 99% of the time, maybe she's, she does.
I'll never forget him. My first pastorate, I was visiting a man uh, one afternoon. And it was after lunch, and he was talking, he was talking, he was talking, and, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden his phone rings, and he goes, oh, sorry, hello? I, I can't talk right now, the preacher's here. I'll call you back. Click. What was I saying? I mean, it happened that fast. I had no clue what he was saying. I had, in my mind, I was gone. I was in a field somewhere, frolicking, you know, through the, through the fl- flowers of the meadow, you know. And he's staring at me. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no getting out of this. And I was so embarrassed because I had completely zoned out on him. I, I think I may have stammered something like, it's hard for me to say. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember what I did, but it was, I just remember, I remember how humiliated I was. And I, uh, anyhow, no one else can truly know what's going on in your mind except you. Similarly, no one knows, verse 11, the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Which, if you want proof of the Holy Spirit's deity, there it is. No human eye, ear, heart, mind can know the wonderful truths of God apart from the Spirit's invaluable work of revelation. Which the apostles received, verse 12. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. Through His work of revelation, the Spirit was able to communicate to the apostles and the prophets the deep truths of God. If you turn over to Second Peter, let me just read it real quickly. Second Peter 1.20 says, Above all, you know this... No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Scripture, ladies and gentlemen, is revealed truth in writing. It is the authoritative norm for human thought about God which makes it the only infallible rule of faith and practice. We're not left to decide what God is. We're not left to decide what we think God is supposed to do in His world. We have been given an authoritative norm for how we are to think about God. And that authoritative norm is not your own noggin. It is the Word of the living God. Well, to me, God is, I don't care what He is to you. I want to know what He is. And I know what He is. I know what His will is. You say, yeah, that's so arrogant to say that. No, it's not. How do I know these things? Because I'm brilliant? No. I know these things because God is not silent. He has spoken. He has given us His Word. Do you understand that? 
He must reveal it or otherwise we'd never know it. And he has. This is what's so wonderful as you're going to see in the end. Now Paul points the Corinthians second to the Spirit's work of inspiration, verse 13. Inspiration. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. We'll come back to that in a moment. The apostles did not rely on human wisdom. They didn't rely on their own wisdom. They didn't rely on borrowed wisdom. But they relied instead on the very words that were taught them by the Holy Spirit so that we have today in our Bibles God's Word in an utterly trustworthy form. 2 Timothy 3.16, that's a verse to jot down. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Biblical inspiration is God the Holy Spirit's supernatural influence on the human authors of Scripture in such a way that they wrote truly and perfectly His Word. The Holy Spirit gave the human writers the words of Scripture, while at the same time, using their own personalities to become part of God's perfect Word. The Holy Spirit superintended His work so that they got it right. That's why Paul's writings don't sound like Peter's writings. Have you ever noticed that? That's why John's writings don't sound like Luke's writings. That's why James' writings don't sound like Jude's writings. It's all the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, superintended by the Spirit as He used these individual authors or personalities to set down His Word for us to have. Brothers and sisters, do you realize what this means? Oh, I hope you do. Because of the Spirit's work of inspiration, as Philip says, absolutely all Christians have in Scripture every inerrant, binding, personal word from God that they need for any area of life. In other words, Christians, we can have perfect clarity in the midst of the sinisterly confused cultural moment that we find ourselves in right now. And I say it's sinister, the confusion, because it is. It's satanic. And we don't have to wander around confused by what's taking place, confused by the claims that we're hearing. We have Scripture. Remember what we call it here? The straight edge. And we hear this stuff, and we take our Bible, and we see, does it line up with the straight edge? If it doesn't, what do we know about it? It's crooked. Right? Because i got my straight edge. Did you hear the news this week that our Secretary of State issued a memo to staffers at the State Department? Did you hear about this? Warning them not to use, quote-unquote, problematic terms 
that could lead to, quote-unquote, misgendering. You want to know what terms he labeled as problematic? Father, don't use that term. Mother, it's problematic. Husband, wife, son, daughter. That's where we're at. Now, you're a step ahead of the game if you realize that that's not just for people that work in the State Department. That's part of the broader movement that's aimed at your children and your grandchildren to confuse about what, whoa, is there something wrong with being a man? Is there something wrong with being a woman? Being a father? That's problematic. Being a mother? Christian fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, you don't need to share in the confusion of the cultural moment in which we find ourselves. You know why? Because of the Spirit's work of inspiration. You know this from the Scriptures. You know that the one true and living God created man and woman. You know that the one true and living God instituted marriage. The one flesh union of one man called a husband and one woman called a wife. And you know, Genesis 1.28, that God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. That is, have sons and daughters. And by the way, Mr. Secretary, Mr. President, and King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 3.18, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up And that includes your rainbow gods. You see? How can I say that? Because of the Spirit's work of inspiration that we have in Scripture every inerrant, binding, personal word from God that we need in order to live without confusion. I I, I can't imagine being a little child today without a mom and a dad and a grandparent who is there counteracting this stuff with the truth. I can't imagine growing up in this context now where I'm being told, this is a truth claim, I'm being told that I might have been born a little boy, but I can become a girl. What are we doing to our children? I'll tell you, some some men and some adults need to become courageous enough to speak and stop this. This is insanity that comes from the pit of hell. And you hurt for those who are confused this way. And pray for them to hear the truth of the Scriptures. Now the last part of verse 13 is a translator's challenge. The Greek word... Pneumatokoios may be 
neuter, and so translated spiritual words as the New American Standard translates it. Or it may be masculine and so translated spiritual men along the lines of the ESV. Shogren says, since in the next verse, Paul draws a contrast with people who don't have the Holy Spirit, we take Paul to be saying this. We speak not in teaching that comes from a human, but teaching that comes from the Holy Spirit. Thus we are explaining Holy Spirit truths to those who have the Holy Spirit. In other words, Holy Spirit truths to Holy Spirit people who alone can understand this stuff. So that's the Spirit's work of revelation, the Spirit's work of inspiration, and that immediately connects us with the last work of the Holy Spirit that we're looking at this morning, and that is the, the, uh, the work of the Spirit's illumination. Illumination, verse 14. But the person without the Spirit, literally the natural man, by which Paul means someone who doesn't possess the Holy Spirit. He means an unbeliever. Someone without the supernatural principle of saving grace in his life. The person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit. He rejects it. He dismisses it. He ignores it. Why? Because, the text says, it is foolishness to him. It's, it's ludicrous. It's laughable. Uh, this is nonsensical. Then Paul adds, this is devastating. He is not able to understand since it is evaluated spiritually, since it's discerned, it's appraised spiritually. Unbelievers lack the capacity to understand the things of God. Without the Spirit's work of illumination, where He turns on the light, uh, this is all darkness and we're hopelessly in the dark. Do you see why I said unless we have these works of the Spirit, we perish? Because the Gospel can be presented that Christ died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave on the third day. He ascended to heaven. He's coming again. He's doing this for us. He paid for our debt on the cross. Our sin debt. It's gone for every person who will trust Him. And it's like, it means nothing to a person who's in the dark. Cannot see it. In fact, he's saying, you know, I think he'll be about done in a minute. Do you remember the, uh, I'm so glad I saw this months, month ago, the Ben Shapiro quote that I gave you. He was in an interview with Joe Rogan. If you don't know who Ben Shapiro is, uh, he's a popular political pundit. Uh, the number one, uh, has a number one uh, New York Times best-selling book. He got the top conservative podcast in the country. His personal Facebook page has more followers than the Washington Post. He's also Jewish. And so in this interview, Rogan says, it, it just kind of happened. It, you could tell it was not planned. It was a, a free-flowing back and forth. And I don't know how it got there. I just saw this main part of the clip. But he says to Shapiro, so who do you think Jesus is? And Shapiro said, I think Jesus was a Jew 
who tried to lead a revolt against the Romans and got killed for his trouble. Just like a lot of other Jews at that time who were crucified for trying to lead revolts against the Romans. Now, do you see what I'm saying about you're, you're blind? You're in the dark? Doesn't matter how smart you are. This guy is smart. He's much smarter than I am. Extremely well-educated, graduated summa cum laude from UCLA, got his doctor of jurisprudence at Harvard Law, a keen thinker, an accomplished speaker, and blind as a mole to the truth about Jesus. How do you explain that? Verse 14, person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. There's no spiritual capacity there. The spiritual person, verse 15, however, the one who has the Spirit, can evaluate everything, can make true spiritual judgments because he has this discernment that an unbeliever lacks. And yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. And what, what that means is he cannot be truly and rightly understood by any unbeliever for who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him. Answer, no one. By the way, that's another Old Testament quotation. That's from Isaiah 40. It's condensed, 40, 13, and 14. But we have, Paul ends, we have the mind of Christ. And he doesn't mean there that Christians know everything that there is to know about God. But as our minds are influenced by the Holy Spirit, we think as Christ thinks. We evaluate what the world claims by His claims. And we choose His wisdom over the world's wisdom. You see why I said this morning that the Spirit's work of illumination is invaluable? Because without it, we can't understand the Spirit's revelation of the Spirit's inspired text. We just can't see it. And if you see it this morning, you know what that means? You have been saved by grace. You're not better. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was He. We're not better. But in the sovereignty of God, He's had mercy on us. May I ask you this morning, what do you think of these works of the Holy Spirit? Are they invaluable to you? Revelation, inspiration, illumination. Do you treasure them?
What I mean is, I'll tell you what, let me show you what I mean. It's the best thing I can do. What I'm going to show you is undercover missionary footage capturing the emotion of Chinese Christians who are receiving Bibles for the first time. Now watch this. When you can learn to love your Bible that much, you'll know you finally got it. Until then, you're selling it short. Precious treasure. Book divine. Precious treasure. Thou art mine. Father, thank you for the opportunity today to open up the scriptures and to hear of the Spirit's work. Oh, I pray, Lord, we will see it as invaluable, priceless, beyond price. And Lord, please give us the grace to keep your word, to stop measuring your word by the world, to start measuring the world by your word. Be glorified, Lord, in how we respond. In Jesus' name.